Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Welcome again to those who are online, even those out in Nebraska. We hope that they're getting refreshed and restored, but that they come back to us, right? I also have to give a shout out to those dungeon dwellers again. Boy, did that phrase get me in trouble. I heard that all week long. You got to do something to make sure people are awake. You know, they're downstairs. I can't see them, you know, like eyeball to eyeball and tell if they're falling asleep or whatever. So you kind of got to charge them up a little bit, get them going. Well, we are into um, our second uh, session of a four-part series. And if you remember last week, we spent some time just looking at a principle. Anybody remember what that principle was? Let me throw it up here for you. We were talking about this concept that my thinking determines my attitude, which determines my actions, right? And I actually gave you an opportunity to practice that a little bit, put that into practice. In all three sessions, I went over time. (laughs) And I thought about that afterwards, like, oh, Lord, this was classic here. We have an opportunity to think about this. For some of us, maybe we walked out these... uh, doors and we're like wow lord that is amazing stuff that you're teaching our hearts and and almost clicking our heels together if you can still do that these days for some of us it was probably like man went over time again and i wanted to get out of here on time and whatever our thinking was that developed into an attitude and we had an opportunity right then and there to try to put into practice the very things that god maybe was teaching our hearts right and it came out in our actions hopefully that was something that um, as your week went by that the lord just kept bringing that back to your heart and mind over and over again i had the privilege on friday to get a call from my daughter and she said dad i just want you to talk with me about my thinking here let me run something by you and help me to just kind of work through it and see is is this actually like godly or not And what a thrill as a dad to just spend time together talking with her and say, dear, yeah, that right there, that's probably something you're going to have to trust the Lord for a different way of thinking. And can I suggest something for you here with that, right? Um, So we need one another, and we are trusting God to do that work in our own hearts, right? As we've been talking about this concept, the reason that we're talking about it is because we're going to be heading now into three prayers that Paul Uh, records for us through the scripture and uh, some of the things that we're looking for out of that is what is it that that was so important to him when he prayed that we might think is important for our own lives too what would God want to see developed in us and then as he uses us and engages us in the lives of other people what should we be thinking about that should be a part of their life too and, and where do we want to point? Where do we want to go in this whole discipleship process that we're either uh, um, uh, benefiting from or, or providing to someone else, all right? So that's what our, our thinking is here. If you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> I want to read for you in, in chapter 1 this first prayer that Paul is uh, recording. Now, while you're turning there, I, let me set the stage here for this first. Paul is writing a letter to a group of believers much like us. They had been gathering together in a little town called Ephesus. Paul had traveled through there, 
Paul had ended up being there for about three years and had been teaching these people. And he's writing them a letter actually from prison. And the things that he's writing to them in the first three chapters of this book, if you're not familiar with it, he lays out for us how God sees us, what we call our position in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read through those things, it's important for my thinking to be right about them. It's important for me to understand that what God is declaring in those first three chapters are indeed true. They're not something that's like wishful thinking. They're not something that God's saying, well, if I act this way toward you, if I say this is true, then you'll rise to that level. You'll, you'll, uh, you, you know, you'll accede to that, right? Like, that's not what he's saying. He's actually declaring something that is indeed true. I have a struggle, and you probably can identify with that struggle, of whether we'll actually believe what God says. When he says that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing... And then I use the terms, and I'm not trying to be too nitpicky, I'm just saying, as a teacher, you, you, you pay attention to words. We say, God bless me. We pray that God will bless us. And I wonder sometimes when we use those words, do we realize that we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing that is possible to be given? We have it all, according to what Paul was writing there. So he lays out these three chapters, and then in the last three chapters, he says, now in light of that, this is how you ought to live. And he begins to talk about a number of relationships and helping us with some practical understanding of how that truth that he's been teaching to us for those three chapters now begins to play out in life. And so in this first chapter, as he's been telling the believers, as he's writing something to them, he tells them then in the middle of all that, he says, now listen, I got to tell you what I've been praying about. Now, you've got to stop and you've got to ask yourself, in all of the many prayers that Paul ever prayed, because I don't think that these 10 that are recorded in Scripture are the only ones that he ever prayed. I think he prayed a lot. But these are the only 10 that God saw fit <clears throat> by inspiration of the Spirit of God to have written down for all of eternity. We don't just have them in a book. This is the Word of God and it stands, for, excuse me, stands forever. So you got to be wondering, what is it that God is wanting us to know? Why this prayer? What is he saying about that? <clears throat> and as we dive into this, what I want you to do, and I'll help you do this as we go along, is I want you to, to see if you can't identify some things here that Paul is praying for that are, that are what I'll call fundamental needs of the heart. Issues that the human heart is constantly pursuing. And all you got to do is look at our actions. Just, just scan the world and see, well, what is it that we're pursuing? And you'll find the answer to those actually in God himself and what he's provided for us. Okay? So watch for that. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles and you've turned there, verse 15. Let's pick it up there. And this is what he says. <clears throat> Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And now he's going to tell us what that is. <clears throat> that the God, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. <clears throat> what an amazing prayer. I don't know about you, but um, I was actually thinking about this as we were singing some of these songs. And again, uh, the, the teacher in me, the longer I've taught, the more I've recognized how important certain words are like choosing this word over that word. What communicates the truth that I'm trying to say with that, right? Like, Lord, which word would be better? Sometimes I give great thought to that. Sometimes they just kind of come off the cuff and I go, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way, right? Like, words matter. And as I was listening to the, to the different songs and the words that were being written, I was thinking, I wonder what the authors were thinking of as they were writing those things. I wonder if they understood the truths of what they're saying here. I wonder if it impacted them and they're saying, hey, we've got to write a song about this. And I thought, you know, we're, we're the kind of people that <clears throat> we can, at least I can, maybe I shouldn't say we. I can literally stand there and sing those songs and I'm just mouthing the words, and not even engaging in my mind with what they mean, what's being said here. And they're flowery, they're, they're grand, right? They're displaying some wonder, and I'm not moved by them because I'm just speaking the words. It's possible to go into the Word of God and do the same exact thing, to read through it and not allow what God is actually saying we say that we believe that God has inspired his word down to the very tense of the word. And so he has. But oftentimes it doesn't move us the way that it should. So I want to dissect, there's four things that come out of this prayer I want to dissect for us and make sure that we're at least being challenged in our minds about that and what God might want to do in regards to teaching us. So turn with me to verse 17 there, just... just Find that there real quick. And you're going to see the first thing that, that Paul is praying about. Let's look at this. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the glory, may give to you. Now that's a little phrase we don't want to miss. May give to you. It tells us something. It tells us that what we are praying about here, in, in these particular things anyways, are something that God gives. That's why Paul is coming to him. You probably find yourself at times where you realize that you can't accomplish, you can't do something, <clears throat> and so it's in those moments that you go to God in prayer. When, when our back is against the wall, that's usually when we talk to God in prayer. <clears throat> but we can actually go to Him at all times, at any time, because we understand this concept, excuse me, <clears throat> trying to get that out, we understand this concept that what we're going to be talking about here is something that God gives to us. <clears throat> now that's important for us from that thinking attitude action because if we think that the way he gives it to us is he just slips it in and boom, we've got this kind of stuff, we're going to be sadly mistaken. We're going to have expectations that these things that Paul is praying about, oh, if we pray about them too, and then it'll just come over us. But what Paul is going to tell us here are things that God works into our lives. My wife just made homemade bread yesterday. 
I love it when she does that. I love it because it makes the house smell like homemade bread, right? And I love eating homemade bread, and I love cutting it when it's hot, and I love the heel. I'll be the guy who will cut both ends first, right? That's what I'm looking for. And I love slathering some butter on that and, 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 <clears throat> and the taste of it, right? And I have no clue where I was going with that just now. <laughs> How bad is that? <clears throat> God has to give to us. We're looking to him to give. And if we have expectations that he's going to slip that in, then we're going to be dejected and discouraged because he does that over time. He teaches us. He needs it. That's where I was at. He needs it into our lives. Aren't you glad for memories that come back to you? He works that dough is what he does. I see, I started thinking about food like that, and I'm a foodie guy. That's what happens. So we have to understand that, that God gave, he said. Ben, can you push that backwards, please? Or I can get it. Sorry, I'll keep that up. Oh, did you do it or did I do it? There we are. May give to you. So we're, we're understanding that this is something that he does. That's why we're joining Paul in this particular prayer. Now look what he says, what he's asking him for. He says that he would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what he's praying for. Now just so you know, this word spirit, it's not talking about like your spirit. You already have one, so that's why you're alive, right? He's not actually talking about the spirit of God. Some versions will put a capital S there because they're thinking that it's the spirit of God. That's not what he's saying here. He's writing to believers. He already knows that they're believers. In fact, earlier on in verse 15, when he's talking about their faith, he's saying, I'm hearing about how your faith is being lived out, right? So he's writing, knowing or believing that they're believers. So he's not using that. This word spirit is actually talking about like we would use it in the spirit of the age kind of a statement. It's that disposition or that influence or that persuasion that fills and then empowers the soul. That's what he's talking about with this. It has an impact. And he's asking for that in, in two ways there. That he would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the word wisdom, what he's talking about with that word is that the things that you already know about God, that those would be put into practice. That's wisdom, how to apply the truth, right? And then in the word revelation, he's saying, not only would you, would you learn to apply those things, but you would also learn more. I'm praying that God would give you this, this infusion of wisdom and revelation, it's in something. It's in the realm of something. We're going to get to that. But I love that he puts it in this particular order because the American mindset, anyways, I think, likes the revelation side of it. Give me more information, more information, more information, right? That's what we're looking for. But God is saying, listen, I want that to be applied. I want it to be needed. I want it to be worked into your life is what I want. And Paul, knowing that, is praying in accordance to the will of God when he's saying this, and that's why the Spirit of God is having him write it down. We're understanding that God wants to infuse upon us that there's something that we need from him so that we might live in such a way that the things that we're learning, we're applying. Otherwise, it just becomes head knowledge, and the Word of God tells us that knowledge puffs up. That's what happens when it just stays right there. 
we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and we begin to think that we know what we think we know, when in reality we don't, because we're not living it out. So he wants that to be worked down to that level, but he doesn't want us to just go, okay, now I got that, which we never do, by the way, but we think, oh, now I've got that, and he wants to teach us more. And he just begins to do this over and over. Now look at what it says here in this. We'll we'll finish this verse. That he might give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What he's talking about in regards to this wisdom and knowledge is in the realm of, that little word in is like in the sphere of, in the realm of the knowledge of him. Now Paul could have chosen several different words that we now interpret with the word knowledge. He chose one that actually means a more fuller knowledge, if that's good English, right? A more, a more together. In other words, it, it, would, it would include the intellect, an intellectual understanding, but it would also include an experiential understanding with it too. So he's not just saying that I'm praying that you will get the spirit of wisdom and revelation in intellectual knowledge, He's saying in in, in its fullness of knowledge, in all that you need in regards to that, both what you need to understand, because we do need to understand what God is saying, and His Spirit helps us with that, right? But we also need to understand it from an experiential, oh, I'm beginning to taste that. I can describe to you what my wife's bread tastes like, but when you come and you enjoy the smell of it, and you enjoy the warmth of it, and there's a little butter mixed in with that, and then you taste it, that's a different story. And then you're like, no wonder this guy is talking about these kinds of things, right? Because you're experiencing some of that stuff. So that's the first thing that, that, that Paul is praying for. Now the next thing then that, that he wants, uh, uh, that he's praying about here, verse 18 and 19, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Three different things. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. He's talking here with this and saying, listen, it's, it's that your understanding, it's actually in the past tense. Having been enlightened is what he's talking about. You have the Spirit of God living within you if you're a believer today, and he has already opened your eyes. The Word of God says that Satan has blinded the eyes of this world, right? These things are foolishness to them, but your eyes have been opened. And he's not talking about your physical eyes when he's saying that. He's saying the eyes of your understanding. We might say uh, the eyes of your heart, (laughs) right? We know that we have a heart that doesn't have eyeballs in it. That would be weird, right? But we're trying to communicate a truth. In, In the vernacular of the famed uh, translation expert known as Marlon Beitzel. You guys know who the dungeon dweller Marlon Beitzel is? He says, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Getting it, getting a hold of this kind of stuff. And he says, I, I, I'm praying then that you would know, and now he uses a different word. Now he's actually talking about something that has an intellectual component and an emotional component to it. 
In other words, it's, it's supposed to impact us. Remember last week when we were talking, we said that, that when my thinking, that, that the attitude, or sorry, the actions that I have, they become a magnifier. They help me to understand what my thinking is. And do you remember we also talked about my feelings do the same thing. They help me to understand, oh, I'm feeling the way I'm feeling because of the way I was thinking about that. And so when he uses this word and he's talking about the emotions, he's wanting for that to impact so that we understand these things and then that understanding is then going to begin to impact us. What are the things that he's talking about with us? Well, let's look at them. The hope of his calling. <clears throat> I mentioned to you that as we walk through these things, you're going to see the need of the heart come out. In the first one, he's praying that we would understand like wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Do you realize that's a fundamental need of the human heart? Do you know that? Without God, we are nothing. And what I mean by that is we live life pursuing all kinds of what is the meaning of life, trying to find fulfillment, and at the end of the day, it's all sawdust in the mouth is what it is. It's, it's not bread in the mouth, right? It's not living water in the mouth. It's sawdust. It leaves me with that, nah, nothing is satisfying. It's also true for this. Hope is a need of the human heart. You do any kind of reading on this subject, you'll find that people who are in a hopeless condition are degrading. Their emotional state is degrading, and therefore their physical state is degrading, right? It's deteriorating away is what it's doing. It's a need of the heart. But as in all needs of the heart, they can actually only be met in God. And so Paul is praying, and he says, this is something else that I'm praying for you guys, that you would know the hope of his calling. What is he talking about with that? What does he mean? If we're not careful, we read through these words, and we just blow by them. It sounds so flowery, but we're just not sure what he's talking about, and so we're just going to leave him behind and go on to the next and hope we get that one, and if we don't get that one, we'll go on to the next until we, oh, I understand that one, right? And we never wrestle with these things. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll tell you here that, that what he's talking about in the hope of his calling is everything that he has called the believer to. It fits in this. What is the hope of his calling? For example, I've told you that the first three chapters are positional truth. Why does God tell us that? I believe, for one, because the human heart condition is such that we believe that we've got to perform in order for God to be satisfied. And so we're pursuing that like crazy. And that's to exhaustion. That's what the law was intended to show. You can't do this kind of stuff. Boy, do you need him. I need him. And as I understood more and more of my position in, in Christ, I began to settle the heart. Oh, this is true? Wow, God. So you mean to tell me 
that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, when it says that I'm accepted in the beloved, you mean to tell me that I can trust you to grow in a way that where as a man pleaser, wanting to be accepted by everybody else, that's going to begin to soften and change because you're going to help me to value more the fact that you accept me and that's going to permeate my life. Oh, there's hope! That's part, that's an example of the hope of his calling, all that he has called us to be and do, to think who we are. Everything that fits in that, we have hope. Most times, and this is, this is true, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to minimize this, but most of the times we only think of the hope that is to come. We think of the resurrection, when we're going to go be with him. And that is a hope. It ought to be impacting our lives. The way in which we live today ought to have that in mind. This whole world, sorry if I'm stepping on a toe here, but this whole world is so concerned about this about our planet and the warming and all of that is going to happen. Let me tell you what, the day is coming when this planet is going to warm. And it's not because we did it, it's because he did it and his word says it. He says, I'll consume it all. I'll melt it away. So that <laughs> global warming is a, is a fact. But until he melts, it's his creation. It belongs to him. I can't do what he does. So I can trust him. Does it mean I'm willy-nilly about how I handle the environment? No, he's actually given us a stewardship about that. But it doesn't have to cause fear, right? It doesn't have to cause consternation for us. Why? Because there's a hope that we have. And that, and that causes us to guess what? Rest. Here's the next one that he says. <clears throat> that you would also know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Sue and I were talking about this uh, Friday, I think it was. <clears throat> and she said, um, she said, of all these, which, which one's your favorite? Like, what catches you the most? And I told her this one here. I pray that I can help you to, to, to understand it a little bit more. Look, look at the term there. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Did you catch the word his? Did, did you... Or did you transpose that and think my inheritance? Do you understand what Paul is praying here? Is he's not saying that you would know the, rich, the riches of the glory of your inheritance. He's saying that you, the believer, would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. God's inheritance. I never even thought that God had an inheritance. You know what he's telling us? that little phrase in the saints is telling us you're his inheritance that's how he sees you <laughs> i don't know about you but i think he got the short end of that deal right like like as far as what we know from the scripture it tells us that you and i have an inheritance that we're joint heirs with christ and we have something waiting for us and that's to be delighted in. And we, as we get our hands around that, our minds around that, we begin to understand some of that stuff. We revel in that. We rejoice in that. It's glorious to us. So I understand why, in my mind, I, I flip that as I read it. But if I stop and I back up, what he's actually saying, now you let this waft over you. <laughs> How precious this is to you and I. The understanding that God says... Paul, 
I want you to write something here. I want you to pray and write this down for these people to know. I want them to know the riches of the glory of my inheritance. God saying that. He sees you out of all of creation, out of all that he's made, he sees you as the most valuable inheritance that he's got. That is impressive. That is humbling. And just take a peek down the aisle one way or the other to realize he sees everybody else that same way. Doesn't that change our thinking? As we, like, like dare we even believe this? Is this even possible? Is this even true? Or is this just Paul writing some flowery things trying to warm people up? Does God really intend this to be so? He does. He does. As we begin to get a hold of that truth, guess what it does for us? It begins to get our eyes off of ourselves and on our own issues. It begins to get our eyes on Him realizing wow god you actually think of me that way i don't think of me that way maybe i need to change my thinking maybe all the the anxiety and the depression and the and the lack of joy that's going on in my life is is all because i'm i'm self-centered in my thinking rather than what this is what you think of me you see this as rich you see this as glorious and instead of him getting the raw deal on this, we appreciate how he views us. I gave an illustration. I'll do it real quick here. Um, I was reading this. It's amazing how the Lord brings things to your mind as you're preparing for things. I was reading this. I can't tell you where, I, so I can't give proper credit. But um, the story goes that there was a rich man, and he had one son, and his son was, was uh, killed in action, in war. His son had painted a painting that was very amateurish, right? Like, it, it, it wasn't something that was going to fetch a lot on the market. But the dad had a lot of paintings that, that were, he was a wealthy man, and, and, and he enjoyed all of that. And he hung his son's painting up alongside all of those, only to pass away himself. And so an auction was done to sell those paintings. And everybody gathered there for the auction, and the first painting that came up was the son's painting. And nobody bid on it wasn't worth anything to anybody and so the auctioneer stopped the auction he said we're done it's over and they're like what we have a lot more well the the owner stipulated that the son's painting had to sell first before the other paintings so finally a a, a man raised his hand he said i knew his son i'll give you 10 bucks for it sold i'm here to tell you that the auction is now over Thank you very much for it. What? What are you talking about? We've got all these other paintings. No, the owner has stipulated that whoever buys the son's painting gets all of it. Why? Was that painting more valuable than all the others? Not in the world's view. But in the father's view, yes. And the father's view is all that matters. So when we say the question, well, what really matters? The Father's view is all that matters. And he has seen fit to record in these uh, verses a prayer of Paul's to help us to understand what really matters, to answer that. It matters to God 
that you know that he sees you as his inheritance. One of the reasons why I think we see so much struggle in our own hearts and in the hearts of this world in regards to some of those things of anxiety and depression and all that kind of stuff, I think some of that is actually what the enemy, the prince of this world, wants to see happen, which is the exact opposite of what God says is true. The exact opposite of that. So Paul is praying. we got to keep moving here. I'll go over time again which is probably going to happen, but here's the third one. He says, and also, I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. So there's a couple words here that you need to catch as well. First one is this this phrase, exceeding greatness of his power. Do we really believe that? When I think of his power... Like I mentioned to you about uh, last week that we bought a house and how God miraculously did that for us. I would call that, well, hey, we're getting to see the power of God. He's able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, right? And nothing can stop his hand. We can look at that. We can look outside and we can see all of creation out there and we can say, wow, that took power, right? Those are tangible expressions, if you want to call them that, or more tangible expressions of that. And we could, we could watch a sunset in awe and go, oh, the exceeding greatness of his power, and be worshipful over that. But when Paul is writing these words, he's thinking of more than just those things, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just saying, if, if we just leave it there, we miss out on something. What he's also talking about in regards to the exceeding greatness of his power is God's ability to change hearts. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever had it happen in your own life? At one time you're like, Andy, where are you at? Where are you at, Andy? Come on, raise your hand. I can't see you. I'm going to do it anyways. This dear woman says to me, sorry, I didn't ask your permission. You didn't even know you. I was going to say it. (laughs) She says to me, I thought I would never come back to this area. In her own heart, a desire, no, that's not going to happen. And guess what the Lord does? Uses her husband. Hey, let's go back. And now the richness of her life of coming back into this area. How marvelous is that? Guess what she experienced? The power of God his ability to change hearts. And if he can change yours, then he can change someone else's. But do you ever get yourself into a place where you doubt that? Where you've been praying for somebody for so long and you're asking God to do a work in their heart and it seems year after year after year after year after year that continues on and you begin to wonder. In fact, you may have bailed a long time ago. And it just tells us We don't understand the exceeding greatness of his power. But look at the phrase, toward us. He's saying that that we might know this power that's directed to us. It's purposeful towards us. He's doing something for you. He's trying to display something so that you get it. It's towards us is what it is. He changes circumstances at times, miraculously. I can't believe, I looked at this, Lord, and I thought, oh, this is the way it's going to go, and you changed it just like that. 
Here's another one that to me is absolutely astounding. Every time I'm tempted to sin and I choose not to sin, I'm learning a little bit more about the exceeding greatness of his power. Because left to myself as the unbeliever, guess what? I can only sin as an unbeliever. But now, because of Christ, the power of sin has been broken. I no longer have to yield to it. And I actually can choose righteousness. How do I do that? I'm learning that it's the exceeding greatness of his power that's allowed me to do that. So as this becomes more understanding to me, more, more like I gain an understanding of it, instead of uh, struggling in the whole concept of the temptation, instead I begin to rejoice over it. Like, Lord, look at what's going on here. Your power is being demonstrated. It's showing and I'm getting a taste of it, and I love the taste of it, and I want some more of this. And, and he's actually answering that prayer in our lives, is what he's doing. So Paul is saying that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, we're, we're not going to take the time, but we've already read. He actually then goes on to say, oh, by the way, this power that he's talking about, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The very same. That's incredible. I mentioned before to the FSAT people, I know of some people who tried to raise the dead. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But in desperation, you'll try. You'll do some things if you're desperate enough, and they tried. And sitting here in these chairs, you're thinking, this is nutso. Well, they found out they don't have that power. That actually only resides with him. And he can do it. He raised his son from the dead, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. While the Lord was here, like actually a little girl, ah, she's just sleeping. They laughed him to scorn. That's what the word of God says. And he says, why don't you all get out of the house? <laughs> Mom and dad, a couple of my boys, come on here. Now watch this. Little girl, rise up. Boom, just like that. We say that we believe these things, but our actions oftentimes tell us different. And I'm not saying that from the standpoint of a bony finger to shake it at you and go shame, shame, shame on you. I'm saying it from the standpoint of if we'll be true about that, if we'll stand in the honesty of that and say, you know what, Lord, what he's saying there is right. I say that I believe that, but I actually don't. How do I know that? Because I see my actions. What will we, will we can allow the Lord to do with that is bring us back to, okay, Lord, that's revealing something's wrong with my thinking. So show it to me. He's not shaking the bony finger. He's just saying, child, you need to see truth. And if, I'm, if I can show you in a tangible way, it'll help you in regards to your thinking. And guess what this does for us again? It brings rest. When I am firmly convinced that God wants to reveal to me, wants to show me the exceeding greatness of his power, and I'm in a situation that I'm powerless in, I'm in a situation where I feel like it's overwhelming, and I really truly believe what God says, it brings rest to my heart. I'll trust you, God. 
I mentioned in regards to the house, I think last week, that we were trying to put a bid in on it before it came to market. And you know what it revealed to me? Tim, you don't really trust me. Your heart's not at rest. You think that if you can slip in this bid before it goes to market, you're going to have a good chance, a better chance than when it goes to market. Because when it goes to market, somehow, in the foolishness of my thinking, it's as if when information gets out to the public, now I can't do anything about that. How foolish is that? And it was like the Lord was saying, "Uh, let me just show you this. We're going to let it go to market. We're going to let multiple people make a bid on that particular house right there. All so that I can show you. Do you remember there was a time in the Old Testament where there was a prophet and he was dealing with the guys of Baal and he said, why don't you make a little sacrifice here and see if you can call down fire from heaven and destroy your sacrifice, right? You remember this? And they're doing all their incantations, nothing happens. And he says, let me show you something here. Now watch. Let's just pour water and pour more. Throw some more water on that. Now step back. Right? And it's consumed. Why? Because it showed, it demonstrated the exceeding greatness of his power. I think he delights in that. And if he delights in that, then I think I can delight in that. I think I can actually be in a position where it's like, oh man, Lord, here we go. It looks like it is out of control. And it's sink or swim, and we're going to see what you're going to do, Lord. How amazing. And then instead of us being like, oh my word, I, I'm surprised by that. It's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's God. That's what he does. That, that, that's just one of the many examples that he gives and shows that. And my heart is at rest. Dare we believe this? Is it possible, would we be permitted to just, to just hope that what Paul is praying for could be ours? I think we dare. I think God actually wants for us to be praying the same exact thing. God, you teach my heart in these things. Why? Why? Because then our thinking about him begins to align with who he declares himself to be rather than who I have formed him to be in my own mind. And in the doing of that, he gets glory for it. And is he worth that? Most certainly. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for recording these words. We do have to stop and think, Lord. We do wonder, why would you write these things down? And hopefully as we've walked our way through them, we've maybe got a little bit of taste of that question, why? Lord, um, the delight has been of me to be able to study some of this in order to prepare to teach it and to dig in a little deeper than what we've had time to talk about. And I pray for these, my family here too, Lord, that if they haven't done that, that they'll spend some time digging into your word and allowing your spirit to just reveal some of this stuff to them too. That together, as a body, the one that you fill, 
that we would rejoice in this. That we would be mindful of each other's struggle and, and encouraging each other to, hey, remember what God said? <laughs> remember the exceeding greatness of His power? Well, let's trust Him in this one too. And that in doing that, Lord, we bring honor and glory to You. We thank You so much for the opportunity that You've given to us to walk this walk with You and to learn of You. You are glorious, God. Thank You too that we're Your inheritance. That is amazing and astounding. Help us to get a hold of that one, Lord, and to chew on that for a while. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.